it's really important to, to make your voice heard in the process. Go out and vote. Absolutely get out and vote. Go vote. If Every vote does matter. We're all in this and we've all got responsibility and opportunity to make things better. But But that starts with working together and thinking about how we'd like things to be. Welcome to a special edition of the Women in Diplomacy podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Sumnick. It's 2016, so the United States is getting ready to elect its next president. Elections can be a busy, crazy, overwhelming time. And so I've decided to do an episode to bring you a few resources on how to navigate election season, especially as voters that might be particularly concerned with foreign policy issues. I'll introduce you to three inspiring women who are working at the heart of politics and news media. They have definitely inspired me to exercise my right to vote. For our international listeners, these tools are also global, so hopefully this will still be a useful workshop for you as you might be heading into your own country's elections in the next year or the year after. First, we have Emily Landfear. She's working on media partnerships at Twitter. She is going to tell us about what is happening at Twitter, what are the new tools that you can use to navigate election season. Second, we have Rebecca Harris. She is co-founder of Purple, which is a messaging platform that acts like your own personal politics guide in your pocket. Sounds great, right? So listen in to learn more on how to sign up and how to get the information you need to be the most informed voter you can be. And finally, we have CEO of PopVox, Marcy Harris. PopVox is an awesome platform where you can stay informed about what issues are currently on the table for Congress. She helps us make sense of a lame duck Congress, and she also provides some tips on what we should keep an eye on after the election is over, before we get a new president's sworn in. Listen up, and don't forget to exercise your right to vote. We are so lucky to have with us today, Emily Lanfear. She works on the Twitter media partnerships team out of their New York City office. There is so much information flooding our news feeds and our inboxes around election time. Do you have any recommendations for how we can navigate this information overload? How do we make sense of it all? Well, you're right. There is a ton of information out there right now, especially during this election in particular. Um, there have been hundreds of millions of tweets sent about this election so far. Um, and, you know, we see that when news breaks, it really does break first on Twitter, whether that's day or night. And so we're in this situation now where we have, you know, candidates and campaigns themselves on Twitter issuing statements Um we have political commentators and, and analysts um, on Twitter, you know, providing their view into um, the various election events that are taking place. Um, and then we have people within our own networks who are, you know, A, consuming this content on Twitter um, and B, then taking part in the dialogue themselves. And so we really see at times like this that real-time conversational public nature um, of Twitter. And I think that's really powerful. 
I agree. What are your top tips for using Twitter as a tool to understand what is going on during elections, especially in particular for women in diplomacy voters who might be very focused on foreign policy? Follow the candidates, not just the presidential candidates, but the other candidates that are going to be on your ballot on election day. Um, Follow the advocacy groups about the topics that that you're going to be voting on. We see that Twitter is at its best during live events. That's when conversation on Twitter is at its peak. And that's really when we see these powerful moments emerging out of that conversation. And so a few months ago, um, we launched a new live streaming product that allows us to bring live premium content to Twitter. So now the same events that are already being talked about on Twitter every single day um, are now able to also be watched live on Twitter. Um, It's completely free to watch this content um, and you can watch on mobile or on desktop. We'll actually be partnering with BuzzFeed News to bring election night coverage live to Twitter. So on November 8th, um, we will have about six hours of BuzzFeed's live election night coverage on Twitter. We're super excited about it. It's going to be innovative. It's going to be fun. It's going to be informative. um, And it's going to be a great destination for people to tune in um, to get, you know, real-time updates about um, what's happening as the polls are closing and and we're seeing the returns, you know, start coming in. Um, And then the third thing I'll say, just going back to your original question of, you know, using Twitter to understand the elections, obviously one of the most important things um, that we can do as voters is to actually get out and cast our vote. And so at Twitter, we partnered this year with Rock the Vote on a voter registration initiative. Um, And the goal was really to help people find their voter registration deadlines and then ultimately register to vote. And so the way that this worked was um, you could send a message to the um, Twitter government account. This is an account that we run ourselves at Twitter. Um, It's at gov, so at G-O-V. And you sent a direct message to this account with your five-digit zip code. um, And in return, you got a personalized um, auto response uh, with your state's voter registration deadline and a link to register to vote. But we're actually going to move this initiative into the second phase. Um, and that's going to be rolling out in the next couple of weeks. And that will allow users to using them about what's going to be on their ballot. I highly recommend that women in diplomacy listeners check out your Twitter feed. Everyone go follow E. Lanfear. Uh, because your Twitter bio is what inspired me to reach out to you. It says, follow your dreams. They know the way. Can you tell us a little bit about this? What has your own path been like, Emily? I think I've always tried to understand the things that I am passionate about, listen to those things, pay attention to those things, and pursue work that um, identifies with those things. Um and, and sometimes that's resulted in my taking, you know, non-conventional paths. But, um, but ultimately, I think when you really listen to your heart and, and you, you know, you focus on work that, that you're passionate about, um, ultimately, like everything works out in the end. Do you have any advice for young women who are looking to break into working in media? 
getting your foot in the door and getting any sort of experience um, is one of the most critical things. So if you're in college, um, pursue an internship. Um, if you are, you know, if you're even in high school, um, you know, find ways that you can get involved, maybe at a local level, you know, at risk of sounding cliche, um, it, it really is about, um, you know, getting to know people in the industry, networking, um, finding opportunities to, um, you know, meet with people uh, at companies that you might be interested in or meet with people who have jobs that um, that sound like something that you, you know, might be interested in doing in the future. Looking back on my own path, one thing that I wish that I had started doing earlier on um, was just interning in college. I think I got my first internship maybe my junior year. Um, and part of that was because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do yet. And I was kind of struggling with, well, I don't want to, I thought, I remember thinking at like 19 years old, oh, well, I don't want to pigeonhole myself by taking an internship, you know, in a specific industry, if that pans out to not be the, you know, the industry that I end up wanting to work in. And it's like, okay, it's not possible to pigeonhole yourself at 19 years old with one internship. So try different things, you know, take an obscure internship in an industry that you maybe didn't think that you would be interested in working in and figure out if you're interested in it. Um, and if not rule that out and try something totally different. Um, but get exposure, get experience, start building your network as early, um, as possible. Um, and, and I think also don't be afraid to reach out to people. Like, I mean, Kelsey, this is a perfect example. You, you know, randomly found me on Twitter and direct messaged me. And now here we are some months later doing this interview. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to people, to connect with people, especially people that, you know, you think may be like-minded, you think may um, work for organizations that you're interested in. Um, that's, you know, one of the best ways to really start building those connections and building that network. In the end, why is it so important for especially young women to vote? This is a critical election for us. I know they say that every election, but, but this really is. Um, and this is an opportunity for all eligible voters, um, many of whom are young women, to cast their vote and to let their voice be heard. This is an opportunity for us to actually take part in the democratic process in this country, and that is important. Um, I know some people think, you know, oh, well, there's millions of people voting and, you know, my vote's not really going to matter. Or what can my one vote do? But that's actually not true. Um, every vote does matter. And especially in certain counties and certain states, some of the down ballot issues, so not just presidential, but some of the other issues on your ballot can literally be determined by a handful of votes. And so it's important to remember um, to vote on 
as many of the issues as possible on your ballot to be informed and educated about not just the presidential race, but the other issues that you're going to be able to vote for um, when you go to cast your vote. Um, and it really is important to remember that every single vote does count. The other thing I'll just say is that, you know, this election is um, is is pivotal. Um, we obviously have two candidates that have polarizing and um, and very opposite views on on a lot of important issues. Um, this next president also may be in a position to appoint as many as three new Supreme Court justices. Obviously, there's one open seat right now. Um, still unclear whether or not that will be filled before this next president takes office. But it is possible that um, there you know, will be two additional vacancies in um, this next president's term. And so, so understanding that and understanding um, that, you know, depending on the justice or justices um, that are appointed, we may have an entire shift in um, our country's justice system in, in you know, the coming few years. Um, that alone is a reason, uh, a reason to vote and, and just yet another reason um, that, that each and every vote really does matter. Women in Diplomacy listeners, please welcome Rebecca Harris. She is co-founder of Purple. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Kelsey. Thanks. So pumped to be here. Tell us just briefly, what is Purple? So Purple is the easiest way for millennials to stay informed and learn about the issues that matter. My co-founder, David, and I started Purple because we felt that there wasn't anything out there that did a really great job of breaking down complicated issues in a conversational tone um, in a way that was easy to digest for our generation. And so we decided to create our own. <laughs> so all of Purple lives on top of messaging platforms. So it's kind of like having a nerdy friend in your pocket who is messaging you, um, explaining, you know, uh, everything from the election to foreign policy to healthcare policy, and that you can message back and ask any questions to. Very cool. Um, I personally am a Purple user, so I highly recommend it. <laughs> All right. I really loved an article you wrote called Politics is Broken, and it's up to my generation to fix it. Can you give us your of state of the union on why you feel millennials are not engaged? Yeah, definitely. So I think there's, uh, if I could sum it up, there's really three main reasons why millennials don't uh, participate as much in the democratic process as previous generations. Um, I think the first one is that voting is a pain in the ass. Um, like only in 15 states can you even register to vote online, which is insane to me. Um, and, you know, actually going to the polling, uh, polling place and casting your vote um, is much more difficult than, say, you know, if you were able to vote on your phone. Um, so I think the, there's, there's a certain barrier um, uh, in terms of just 
ease of voting that keeps a lot of people from actually doing it um, who otherwise would would vote pretty easily. Um, the second thing is that a lot of people don't feel informed enough about the issues or the candidates to vote. Um, this is the issue that um, we're tackling right now with with purple. And then the the third one, um, which I think is the most important, but it's also the most difficult to fix because it's an underlying structural problem with po how politics and government works in our country, is that uh, a lot of people feel totally disillusioned by um, the you know political gridlock that we see in government, and also um, don't feel that either candidate or either party really speaks to them or represents their views. Um, so they don't really feel like their vote makes a difference, um, and that that's a bigger bigger issue. And that's kind of why until we really focus on fixing that problem. Um, I don't think we're going to see huge participation in voting um, from millennials. That's just my my sort of thesis or hypothesis. Um, and obviously, the latter one is much more difficult to solve because you have to basically uh, re not restructure, but uh, you know, re rethink how we um, how we legislate in this country and how. Um, Congress members are able to come together from different from opposing political parties to actually get things done. I myself am a foreign policy voter, as is majority of the women in diplomacy audience. Do you have any tips for us to help make sense of election season, especially as foreign policy voters? I think that when I when, when I personally like vet each candidate's foreign policy positions, I look at like what what they've said about how they would engage with other countries and other conflicts, you know, what they've said about how they would combat ISIS, um, what they've said about, it, particularly in this election, um, having to do with global trade, because that's like been such a huge focal point in this election and the debate um, uh, about NAFTA and about, um, you know, our relationship with uh, China. Um, so there's like a lot of, um, there's a lot of information that has been covered in through the debates and through um, a lot of speeches that have been given by both candidates that I would look back at and sort of go over and think to yourself, like, what whose positions do you most align with um, in in understanding like how you would want the United States to engage with the rest of the world? Because um, it's a little different than it's been in the past. Typically, there's like the Republican candidate and Democratic candidate have parallel um, or, or opposite, but parallel to their predecessor views that they're kind of carrying ahead. Um, but this year, it's like, it's very different. So it's super interesting. And if we sign up for Purple, are you going to be messaging throughout November 8th? Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually getting ready to um, start launching other channels on Purple. So for listeners who don't know, um, we started Purple basically covering the election specifically. Um, now we're getting ready to start launching new new channels on Purple um, with people covering all different topics. Um, and so we're going to start doing that right, basically right after the election. Um, so I'll still be uh, I, I basically run the election channel, so I will be covering um, the election all, all up and during election day, which is going to be uh, it's going to be a crazy day. It's going to be like high energy, fascinating. But basically, users can follow 
um, can follow our live coverage on Purple during election day to get updates in real time on like what's going on, um, how the votes are being counted as they come in. And then post, uh, post election day, we'll, we'll, have, we'll be launching new channels um, on all kinds of different topics from science and technology to international affairs to um, startup sort of tech world um, sort of and, and business and finance sort of everything. Do you have any advice for any young entrepreneurs out there that are interested in launching their own startup idea? Yeah, absolutely. I would say do, do it, like start working on it. I think a lot of the thing that holds people back from starting their own company or working on their own project or something is that you kind of shoot yourself in the foot before you even try. Um, but like, why couldn't it be you to tackle this problem? Um, that's, that's kind of, I, you know, purple started as like a Tumblr blog that I started when I was in college, you know, and I just found my passion for it. And that's what sort of led us, led me to where, to where I am today. And it's been awesome. And I've learned so much. Um, so I would say find definitely like, don't hesitate in trying, trying to do something, trying to start your own thing. And also, um, make sure though, it's something that you're, you're passionate about and that you really care about because the, um, the amount of work that you have to put in to make it happen is, is a lot. <laughs> um, and, but if it's something that you love and it's something you're passionate about and you're motivated, um, from your core, you know, it doesn't feel like work um, because you're, you just, you, you feel like you need to make it happen. Give us your final call to action, especially encouragement to young female voters out there. Why is it important? Yeah. Okay. This election in particular, extremely, extremely important to vote. I think um, regardless of the sort of three, um, three things that I outlined at the beginning that are what keep people from voting. I still think that, you know, this is a right that we're extremely lucky to have and that we take for granted a lot. And particularly in this election, um, where the choice is so stark um, between the candidates, it's really important to, to make your voice heard in the process. So I would absolutely go vote if you need help learning about um, the candidates and their stances on different issues. Hit us up at Purple. You can go to getpurple.io to sign up. Um, like that's what we're there for. We'd love to nerd out on this stuff. Um, but yeah, highly encourage everyone to get out and vote. Diplomacy listeners, please welcome Marcy Harris, CEO of PopVox. Marcy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. How are you, Kelsey? I am doing great. And of course, this is such an exciting time. The United States is about to cast its vote to vote for president. Yes. Uh, interesting time for sure. Tell us about PopVox. PopVox is a platform that provides information about pending bills in the U.S. Congress uh, and starting next year also at the at state level in the U.S. Uh, but uh, we, we really uh, are, are very useful after the election's over. So we're the place for people to go when they want to find out what the elected officials are working on after they get done with all of the campaigning and counting the votes. 
uh, it's, a, it's a place for organizations and individuals to come create a profile and post their positions in support or opposition of the various bills that have been introduced. We take care of making sure that those messages are delivered to uh, the lawmakers that represent those individuals. And we also provide a kind of transparent record of what people have said that can be um, searched and broken down by district. So uh, the idea is to bring some transparency and uh, lower barriers to participation in the legislative process and the, the process of following and advocating around pending bills. And I, of course, love PopVox. I am a huge fan. Um, do you have any tips or ideas on how we can use PopVox as a tool during election season, especially as, as foreign policy voters? We're starting to see, and I have to actually say, it's been so comforting to see uh, the conversation shift somewhat uh, back to uh, some proposals and potential bills that will be introduced in the lame duck session of Congress, which, as you know, is is the time uh, that Congress goes back into session after the election, sometimes with members that won't be returning the next year. Uh, so it's always this very strange month to two month time period at the end of an election year where, you know, sometimes a lot gets done in a lame duck, uh, especially if there's going to be uh, a change in control of one or, or both of the chambers or the presidency. There's kind of a rush for those currently in power to assert more influence on the process and get something done during the lame duck. Uh, and then for those who uh, are kind of had, have come out on top of the election, there's uh, more of a, an effort to slow things down and move uh, any big policy decisions into the new session where they uh, will have more influence. So we don't know what the dynamics of the lame duck will be until the election itself is decided. But we do know that that some bills, for example, a Medical Innovation Act, uh, some Iran legislation. I think you'll probably see uh, some uh, bills come out that respond to what's going on in Mosul. So uh, we're starting to get just some hint of what will be introduced and what will be acted upon in the lame duck. And so as far as using Popbox, uh, a really good starting place is to go to our blog and check out the updates that come out weekly on the bills that are getting attention. So we, when Congress is in session, we send out a Monday email uh, that lays out all of the bills that will get a vote that week. And then on Friday, we do a bit of a wrap up with more explanation that talks about bills that are, have either been newly introduced or on the move or are the topic of hearings. Uh, so that's a good place to get background and have links out to other sources to really uh, inform yourself about what's going on in Congress. And then if you're so moved, if any of these bills are interesting enough to you or they they are, are something that uh, you have a strong feeling about, then Popbox is the place to go and choose to support or oppose the bill, write your message about why you think it's important, how it might affect you or your community or a community that you're, you're familiar with, uh, especially in the foreign policy space for those who have expertise in uh, various regions. It's, it's always so vitally important for members of Congress to hear from constituents, but especially with consti from constituents with expertise on these particular topics. And the cool thing then about 
leaving your input on Popbox is that it gets delivered to the member, but it's also public uh, with your screen name. We we don't put your real name there, but uh, it's public with your screen name and your congressional district so that others who are trying to find out about these issues can see what you've written. Uh, so it it really gives an opportunity for the input that Congress is receiving to not just benefit Congress and not just be directed at uh, the member on the receiving end, but also to ripple out into the larger debate and, and hopefully help us all see these issues from broader perspective. Marcy, what inspired you to start Popbox? Uh, great question. So I was a congressional staffer, and so I was on the receiving end of, of this input. And there were times when we were getting uh, just so many calls and emails and Facebook messages and Twitter messages. And I think, I don't even know if these people are real people. And we certainly don't know if they're actually constituents from the district uh, that our office uh, served. And that, that becomes a really important factor for members of Congress and state lawmakers. They are there to serve their constituents. They're not there to serve the whole internet. And their very limited resources and very small staffs are there to serve the people of the districts and the states uh, that elected them. And so Popbox was an attempt to uh, get information into these offices in a way that would help them know it was coming from a real constituent. And then the other side was that as a staffer, I was hearing these amazing stories that people were sending in that I just described, you know, talking about how a particular policy uh, could impact real people. And and I would think to myself, I shouldn't be the only one hearing this. This this should be out there. Others who are thinking about this policy should should hear this perspective. Uh, and also sometimes things kind of catch fire and are the topic of a lot of advocacy directed at Congress. And sometimes that rarely makes the news. Uh, and I, I honestly thought that there should be more transparency into what Congress was hearing, both because it helps us all better understand, uh, you know, what what the pressures are in the various um uh, groups and individuals kind of pushing and pulling on, on different issues. Uh, but also because, you know, there are times that, that, uh, issues may take off that, uh, members are only hearing one side. And if it's not in the news, then, you know, the other side doesn't know that they should be engaging and balancing what can be a, a bit of a one-sided advocacy process. So the goal with PopFox was to kind of solve all of those problems in one place. So verifying uh, that constituents were real people and making sure that, that their input was delivered to the correct lawmakers, allowing for transparency so that we as the public or the media or other members and staffers could uh, see what Congress is hearing and also be alerted if an issue is bubbling up that that we care about. I would say that people equate entrepreneurship with progress and politics with with quite the opposite with stalemate. So do you have any advice for entrepreneurial and politically minded young women? Well, that was a really great, great point. I've never heard it put exactly like that, but it's so true. And, you know, I will admit that there have been some time, I mean, I, I've, you know, very literally went from the world of 
politics and policy to the world of entrepreneurship. I moved across country from Washington to Silicon Valley. And there are definitely very different cultural norms of, of each world. And there's a lot that each can learn from the other. And I think some of that cross-pollinization is already happening. So I, I don't think it is quite as stark as in the past that you had to choose whether to go the slow bureaucratic academic, you know, route of government and years of, of impact uh, or years if you, if you want to have an impact to choose either that or the fast, feel fast, you know, hardcore, always on startup world. I think that there's a little bit of mellowing, um, uh, at least in the the kind of tech for good side of things that that we work in, and a little bit of um, of maturing and openness to technology and different ways of doing things on the government side. So for someone new to this area who who cares about both. I would say that the the timing is wonderful and the opportunities are immense. There still aren't that many well-worn paths. So there's still a bit of um, making it up as we go along. Uh, but that in itself is actually pretty interesting and exciting and and you know, for someone with a, a systems uh, approach to things and an entrepreneurial mindset and uh, you know, don't don't mind. Uh, kind of cutting through the jungle uh, yourself and making a path. It's it's a really interesting time. And I think the most important thing is not to accept the status quo of either of these worlds. So it's the cliche of uh, tech culture that that only cares about, you know, blowing up and going public is is not quite accurate and it doesn't need to be the the way that we perceive tech companies or startups and you know the the stereotype of slow moving government that's siloed and and you know kind of exists to self perpetuate it's that's that's not true either and it's and and so i think fresh eyes you've heard me say this so much before kelsey but fresh eyes uh to either world that doesn't accept the status quo and that learns from but doesn't accept the status quo in either world is our best hope of combining the best of each into something that's even greater than either uh and i think it takes uh new people entering and and thinking about new ways that things could be done to make that possible i mean for example when i was you know, I and, and my co-founder Russian Chowdhury had the idea for a pop box. It was not because we understood so much about technology. We just really understood the problem that we were experiencing. I, from a congressional staffer standpoint, and she, from uh, 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 the point of view of a lobbyist for a nonprofit, and so we we deeply understood the problem, but we didn't understand how you go about starting a tech company which actually ended up being a great thing because there were lots of reasons that people who knew something about starting a tech company would have told us to never even try because, you know, we didn't look like normal tech teams. We had an idea that didn't look like a normal tech model. We were going to serve people that had never really been served before in a typical tech model. There were the list of why not to do it would have been a mile long, but we just didn't know anything about that list. So we did it anyway. Um, <laughs> I so I, I think, yeah, I think, I think sometimes, um, 
that that kind of just you know figure out what inspires you and go forward and figure it out along the way um can work it sometimes that's easier to do in in the tech world than it is in government but there's there's room for innovation in government and policy and and um we're starting to see more and more of it we're all in this and we've all got um responsibility and opportunity to make things better but but that starts with working together and thinking about how we'd like things to be i i told a group i spoke with earlier this week that i honestly believe that it's possible to have a responsible efficient financially uh, sustainable government that works and i just don't hear anybody talking about it and so i think um i think for millennials part of what would make it easier and less distasteful to engage would be anybody talking about a future that works better and uh, i i hope that that there will be much more of that after this election that's also why we need you and your work and pop box <laughs> well and and you know i i appreciate you saying that but as as you know we always say at pop box that the technology is just the tool and it's it's almost it's like building a road you you don't tell anybody where to drive or how to drive and so you know pop box is just infrastructure the only way it works is if people use it to get involved and to express. I mean, the power is in the voice that people are using and what they're saying and in the representation that is baked into the original source code of our government, the fact that we all are constituents and we do have lawmakers who represent us and they are responsible to us and we have this power to use our voices to impact their actions and their decisions. And so Popbox just, is just a tool to facilitate that. But we hope it's a good one and we'd like it to be a good experience. So what is your final call to action for young female voters in this election? Uh, well, I absolutely get out and vote uh, and encourage lots of others to vote and participate in the process because that is really, you know, for all of the, the negativity that's out there, there's something that is actually really empowering and wonderful that sticks with you forever about going out and knocking on doors and registering people to vote and talking to them about what they care about and standing in the line yourself or doing it by mail if it's possible where you live and actually checking the box or or using the pointer um, and casting the vote. there's It's powerful. It, it really is something that stays in your memory as something that you did. And I promise you for the years that follow after casting that vote, you feel more stake in what um, what is happening. You, you understand that you were a part of, of the decisions that are being made. But after the vote, it's not over. It's not over by a long shot. And I think that's where a lot of our um, public outreach and activism kind of falls off sometimes because we place so much, you know, appropriate influence or em uh, emphasis on the vote, but so much happens after that. And especially in this day and age, very differently from, you know, the original uh, Congress and the original representation that we had before, because there is this opportunity to actually follow what's happening 
you know, week to week in Congress or the state legislatures. And because there is constant advocacy around some of the things that are going through, it becomes that much more important for people to pay attention and participate. And and I know that's tough. It's it's tough when you're you've got a job and you've got your studies and you've got your family and you've got so much going on. You know, we don't have 24-7 to dedicate to finding out what's going on in state legislature or Congress, but um, but there are tools out there to help. And so, you know, we really want to be a part of that and to help encourage uh, young women, young men too, uh, to uh, take November 9th as the beginning of their action, the beginning of their participation and to, to feel the sense of responsibility and empowerment to, um, to stay engaged after the election because that that's really where the rubber meets the road.